Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I entitled today's broadcast, God's Plan. What is God's plan? How do you discover God's plan for your life? What are practical ways in tapping into what to the mind of Christ as to what he put you on this earth for? Um, before I get in that, I want to read from Proverbs chapter 4 and beginning with verse, verse uh, let's begin with verse 4. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 4, this is what the scripture says. He also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, never forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And what's wisdom? Wisdom is just acquiring God's knowledge and applying God's knowledge. So in this particular case, we're talking about acquiring God's specific knowledge for the specific plan that he has for our life and then applying that and and putting our hand to the plow of God's plan for our life. So what does the Bible say when you acquire that type of wisdom? Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. So the Bible doesn't just say the wisdom is going to be dropped into your hands. The Bible doesn't just say that God's plan for your life is going to be automatically delivered to you as you just, you know, you just walk aimlessly and just wander through life. One day God will see it fit. If he sees it fit to let me know, he'll let me know. That's not how God drops blueprints into your spirit as to what he has you on this green earth to do. The Bible says that you have to get wisdom. The Bible says in all you're getting, meaning in all you're striving, seek to obtain understanding. Exalt wisdom and she'll promote you. There has to be a hunger. In another book, another chapter of Proverbs, it actually says that we are to seek for wisdom as for as someone who would seek for silver. Search for her as for hidden treasure. So if you just think that God's going to randomly one day show up to you without any any prior hunger in your heart to receive from him to receive direction from him then you're going to be greatly disappointed because he won't show up you have to have a hunger matthew chapter 5 and verse 5 or verse 6 it is uh jesus says that we are to, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there has to be a hunger. There has to be a thirsting. David said it this way, as a deer panteth for the water creek, so my soul pants after you, O God. There has to be a panting. There has to be a drive. The Bible says the one that labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth, drives him on. I believe that God has drawn you to this broadcast today because there's a hunger in your spirit. You don't want to waste your life you don't want to just go through life go through the motions of life just check in at 9 a.m and then check out at 5 p.m save up for 20 years of, of retirement and then just live off the rest of your days in a retirement home as people are taking a spoon to your face scraping off the gerber's applesauce and and people are just coming to visit you out of duty and just because they feel bad for you that's not how life is to be Life is, if you follow God and you follow Him properly, life is an exciting, thrilling thing. Life is not, I mean, I've heard it all. I went to Bible college. I've heard people say, man, when I started following God, it's like everything just went wrong for me. Seems like God's plan is not the easiest thing. It's just very, it's terribly hard and it, it costs you everything and, 
Oh, but one day it'll be worth it. You know, that's how people think God's plan is. But that's not the way God God, uh, God does things. The Bible actually says the path of the just shines brighter and brighter. I'm not saying there's not going to be a cost. I'm not saying there's not going to be sacrifice. I'm not saying there's not going to be something you're going to have to lay on the altar of God. But I am saying that the reward of the sacrifice far exceeds the suffering of laying that thing down. The reward of obedience far outweighs the cost of obedience. Oh man, that's I feel that in my spirit there's some of you today that you've you've been around those types of people where it's always about serving god is hard serve following god's plan is difficult it's complex it never really works out the way you think it's it will but somehow god is mysterious in his ways and he's working everything out what a lie god god in the old testament was mysterious because they didn't have people didn't have in their spirit direct access to god's mind to god's spirit they weren't connected with him but in the new testament the bible says we have access to the thoughts of god so that means you don't have to wander through life and just go by trial and error just trying something well i hope this works out well i hope i'm in the will of god do you know that you don't have to hope that you're in the will of god do you understand that you can actually locate identify and follow and pursue god's plan for your life it doesn't have to be mysterious it doesn't don't i, I don't care who's told you that i don't care what pastor or preacher has dropped that nugget of false falsehood into your heart and you've believed it and you followed it and so life has been a drudgery let me tell you something if life is a drudgery you ain't doing it right if life makes you miserable you aren't doing it right because i can jesus said it in matthew chapter 11 verse 28 to 30 he said come to me all that are weary and heavy laden come to me all that are heavy laden are burdened all that are suffering and struggling through life and i'm gonna give you rest he didn't say come to me and i'm gonna show you how hard life should be i'm gonna show you how hard life can get he didn't say come to me and i'm gonna make things even worse he said come to me and i will do what I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Take my burden. Learn from me. Follow me. And what? You will find rest for your souls. So if there's no rest in your spirit, you're not doing it right. If life is just this long period of depression, there's something that's out of alignment. There's something out of alignment. I told this. I tell this analogy oftentimes that when you make a Christmas tree and you put the lights on the Christmas tree and you spent three hours untangling every one of those stubborn lights and then you finally put it on the Christmas tree and then you plug it in and it doesn't bring light. There's no flickering lights. You did everything you could, but because of one minor bulb that was not screwed in tightly it short-circuited the whole circuit and so none of the lights work when you're not in alignment with god nothing works in life when you're not in god's will when you're not in the center of god's will that's the most frustrating place to be but when you are in the center of god's will when you found what god has specifically wired you for and put you on this earth to do that's when life is fulfilling that's when life is exciting you know look how can i prove that because people think 
oh, I preach like this. That means there's never any challenges or that's when you preach like that, it means you're just telling people it's, it's falsely or you're getting people into this false expectation and hope that nothing's ever going to go bad for them in life. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that no matter what happens on the outside, inwardly in your spirit, there is a joy that's overflowing. There is a peace like a river. How do I know that? Paul is in jail. He got thrown in jail because of preaching the gospel. Don't tell me Paul wasn't in the middle of the will of God. He was. He even said, I've poured out my life as a burnt offering to the Lord. I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight of faith. There is in the future a crown of righteousness uh, reserved for me. So Paul was in the middle of the will of God, yet he gets thrown into prison. But in prison, he's not like... You know, we have our plans, but it never really works out, and we just got to accept what God's will is. No, he's telling the Philippians in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord, and rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. So it doesn't mean that everything's always going to be flowers and daisies, but it does mean that you're not, you are anointed and appointed to not fall prey and victim to discouragement, to despair, that when you know you're in the heart of God's will, there's always going to be a source of strength that you're drawing from oh my brother and sister look at Daniel in the middle of God's will when they said you can't pray another day not for 30 days Daniel said forget that I'm gonna pray and not only that I'm gonna open up the windows and let you know I'm praying he was in the smack middle of God's will and what happened he gets thrown into a lion's den but even in the lion's den he's asleep he's sleeping because the angel of the Lord came and shut the mouths of those lions Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they said we're never gonna bow we are not idolatrous we're not compromising we're not gonna throw away uh, everything that we've done with God just because of one stupid king that's telling us to bow to his stupid idol instead they stood up what did that lead to they got thrown into a burning fiery furnace but God turned the furnace into an air conditioning unit and they came out unscathed not even smelling like smoke my brother and sister anyone that's ever told you that doing God's will is some difficult complex thing and it really has no reward on in this life they're liars they've never read the bible because all through the bible from genesis to revelation i see people carrying out instructions from god and it not leading them downward it led them upward it didn't lead them backward it led them forward as long as josiah sought the lord and was hungry for his will the bible says in second chronicles 26 2 that the lord made him to prosper in everything that he did Psalm 1 says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners and he doesn't sit... He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his word, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree. So the Bible says when you're obsessed with God's word and you're obsessed with carrying out his instructions and you're knitted and tied with his purpose, his plans and his pursuits, what happens is you become like a tree, Psalm 1 says, a tree that is firmly rooted by rivers of water and it indeed grows strong and its roots go deep down, drawing from a source that's not seen, but it's there. It's not dependent. You understand this? When a tree has deep, deep roots, it doesn't even matter if it doesn't rain for a bit. It doesn't 
doesn't matter what's happening all around it. It's drawing its strength. It's drawing its life from the roots, from the deep roots that it has. In the same vein, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You can literally be in the midst of a famine and in the midst of destruction. And Job 5 says you can laugh at it because it will not come near you. Because you have another God, you have another story. Because you serve a different God, you have a different story. Because I've been faithful to his promises he's faithful to because i've been faithful to his instructions he's faithful to his promises and he keeps you he guards you that's why david said i can look to the mountains and look a little higher because my help comes from the lord who made the heavens and the earth he guards my coming in and he guards my going out so psalm 1 says that man who's like a tree his leaves never wither meaning he doesn't have a worse he, uh, he doesn't have a better last year. It's not Lim looking back to 15 years ago and saying, man, I wish, I wish I had those glory days come back. The Bible says his leaves never wither, meaning he's always growing. He's always flourishing. There's no receding in his life. There's no regression for a child of God. There's only progression. And he said his, uh, his leaves never wither. Whatever he does prospers in his hands. Whatever he does prospers. So God doesn't call you to failure. God calls you to prosper. God doesn't call you to defeat. God calls you to, to flourish. God doesn't call you to, to just a life of faithfulness but no fruitfulness. No, Jesus even said. You know how many religious people say that? How many of you know it's not about being faith, uh, fruitful? It's about being faithful. That's not true because the Bible says, Jesus said in John 15, By this my Father is greatly glorified when you bring forth much, much fruit. So you can't. Let me tell you something. You can be faithful to the wrong thing and it yield no fruitfulness and it yield no results. But you can't be faithful to the right thing, to God's thing, to God's plan and it not bring forth many marvelous results. You can be faithful to the wrong thing. Those people that say, you know, I've been faithful and I might not have a big church or I might not have this or I might not have that. Uh, but you know what? My reward's in heaven. Then they're, faith they're being faithful to the wrong thing. They're either being faithful in wrong methods or they're being faithful in doing something God's never called them to do. That's the thing. You know, the reason why I'm taking time to preach on God's plan today is because life is not just you waking up and determining what you want to do. Life is not just you suddenly having a spontaneous spur of the moment where you say, you know what, I'm going to do this. You know what, I'm going to become a doctor. You know what, I'm going to become a dentist. You know what, I'm going to become a preacher. You don't just decide. Life is not... The, the plan for your life is not to be decided, it's to be discovered. You have to discover God's plan. You have to look for what God wired you to do and put you on this earth to do. You can't just determine it, you have to discover it. Because if you are the... From, you know how many people I've heard, you know, they, they, they message me. They say, I'm looking for a good church. I just moved to this new city. I'm looking for a good church. And I, I almost feel like asking them, why did you move there if you don't even know a good church? I, I don't go places because there's a job opportunity or a career opportunity. I'm there because the Lord told me to go. And before I move anywhere, I'm going to make sure that I know that I know there's a good church or else I know God's not telling me to go there. I know that because I'm not going to raise my family in some, you know, backslidden, powerless, impotent church. I find out first and foremost, is there a good church? But how many people, they just pick up their bags and move because they had a good opportunity. It, the circumstances dictated it. Or they said, you know what? If we're gonna, if we're gonna have another kid, we're gonna need more money. So th they make decisions based on circumstance. They make decisions based on money. They make decisions based on feelings. I just felt like it was the right thing. 
It doesn't matter what you felt was the right thing. You have to seek the Lord. The Bible says, when they sought the Lord with all their heart, with all their strength, and with all their mind, then the Lord gave them all around rest. The reason why there's turbulence, the reason why there may be, I'm not saying this is why, absolutely, because some people, you might just be going something and God has called you there, but you're just going through something and God's going to give you victory to, through, to, to push through that. But I'm talking about the people who know that they know deep down on the inside. We deviated from the path of God. We moved away from God's instruction. I, You know, there's many people, they're like Jonah. They expect to go the opposite direction of where God's wanting to bring them and expect a blissful life. No, when Jonah got in the boat going away from Nineveh, that's when the storm came. That's when when the whale came that's when people wanted to toss him off a boat that's when he was just depressed discouraged sleeping in the stern of the boat but when he moved in the direction of Nineveh and they cast him overboard the bible says that the storm was subsided and the sea became perfectly calm so if you're intent on going the opposite direction of where God wants to take you don't you can't you can't pray and fast for the storm to leave. No amount of prayer and fasting is going to get that storm to leave. No amount of prayer and fasting is going to correct whatever's gone wrong in your life if you're not intent in going in the direction that God would have you go in. There's, you can't just bribe God by praying more and fasting more. You know what? If, I know I'm not doing what God's called me to do, but if I fast, he'll bless my plans. We don't find out what we want to do and then ask God to bless the plans even though it's not in his will. We find out what God wants to do through us, and as we do those things, the plans are already blessed. The plans are already guaranteed for success. The plans are already going to bring forth result. I'm going to say that again. You don't find out what you want to do and then pray and fast for 40 days for God to bless that thing or for three days or however many days you're going to fast. You find out what God has called you to do and in doing that, the plan is already blessed. You know, you actually don't even have to pray that God blesses your plans if they're God's plans. You actually don't even have to fast and pray that they're blessed or that they grow. You just have to, the reason why I fast and pray is not so that God can give me increase in a certain area. Uh, of this ministry that he's called me to do when i fast and pray i'm doing it to rid in the flesh to purge and purify myself so that this treasure that he's put in me can shine forth and that there'd be power in my preaching power in my ministering and power and wisdom in knowing what to do but when god gives me the wisdom to do what he called me to do. I don't ask him to bless the plans. They're already blessed. That's why David said in Psalm 1, how blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, whose delight is in carrying out God's instructions. He's like a tree. You don't even have to pray that God makes you a tree. You automatically are a tree and you flourish. And the Bible says that that tree does not wither in its leaves. That tree prospers in whatever it does. And that tree does not experience down season. It bears fruit in every single season. In every season. Favorable for this world or unfavorable for this world? I've got God's favor and I'm anointed to flourish and grow no matter what happens in this world. I don't care who's in pre presidency. I don't care who's in the political office of your land. I don't care what is going on on the earth. I have no, it doesn't 
It doesn't bear on me. I don't care what uh, environmental crisis is happening. I don't care what economic crisis is happening. I don't care what the devil has programmed for this generation, what he decides to throw on the people of this generation. I know that I'm like a tree, and in every season, I'm going to grow. In every season, I'm going to move forward. In every season, I'm going to flourish. There's always going to be high-quality results in this ministry because I'm a tree firmly planted by the rivers of water joshua 1 says joshua if you'll diligently follow my commandments if you will indeed obey me like moses obeyed me then everywhere that you set the sole of your foot on every land that your foot treads on will be land that i give you the bible says no man will be able to stand before you doesn't matter who's in opposition you see when you are I'm reminded of the story when Jesus is on the mountain praying and then he decides to go and walk on the sea and he intends to pass by the disciples to go to the other side. The disciples are straining at rowing. They were trying to row, but the winds were contrary to them. When you're out of God's will, the winds are contrary. You try hard. You sweat hard. You're doing everything you can to move forward. But it's like coming against headwinds. You just keep moving backwards. No matter how much effort you exert, no matter how much strength you dispense, it never works. It never works. But then the Bible says Jesus, when he walked by them and they got afraid and they said it must be a ghost, Jesus said it's I, don't be afraid. The moment Jesus got into the boat, the scripture says this, the storm subsided and there was a great calm and suddenly they were at the other side. Doesn't even say they actually had to use their paddles to get to the other side, it just says suddenly, immediately, they were at the, the other side. When you try to do things your own way, no matter how, it doesn't matter if Bill Gates funded your project, you'd be bankrupt within a year. You'll strain at rowing. It'll be hard. It'll be difficult. It'll be complex. It'll be like you have a, a, a streak of bad luck. But the moment you get Jesus in your boat and start to move where he's called you to move and go where he's called you to go and do what he's called you to do, you'll see very quickly the, the wind that was against you will actually come behind you. And without even roaring, it's like, it's an easy thing. The Bible says those who are born of the Spirit, they're like a wind. The Bible says that you don't, you don't know where it's coming from, you only hear it. Such as those who are born of the Spirit. When you're born of the Spirit, there's a sweet wind, a breeze that comes behind your back. And the things that other people struggle with, you accomplish with ease. Uh, with ease. Look at all of Israel struggled with just the sight of Goliath. They didn't even want to go next to Goliath. David, a man after God's own heart, sees Goliath and says, oh, he's causing you a problem? Knocks him out with one stone in a sling as a 17-year-old kid who had never even fought a battle before in, in physical war. What they dreaded, David accomplished with ease because he was a man after God's own heart. So understand this. You're manufactured by God. God is your manufacturer. You don't get to decide. An iPhone can't choose to be slippers. An iPhone can't choose to be a MacBook. An iPhone is an iPhone. It's been designed that way. You can't just choose to do something in life. You have to discover, how did God wire me? What's my purpose? And then follow that. And that's when, that's when things start working for you. You're manufactured by God. You're the product. You are the product. God is the manufacturer. God's not just the Apple tech, tech geek that you go and see who helps you fix the iPhone. God is the manufacturer. 
You go to an Apple tech geek, he, he, might, he might not even know what's going on. He might not have an answer. It might have been something he's never even heard of or seen before. And so he has to like ship it to headquarters to do what? To bring it to somebody who has, who has made the iPhone, who wired the iPhone, who might have been on the team that designed the iPhone, and they know what to do. There's too many people, they're, they're trying to find out what to do by going to gurus and, and, and just like a buffet of religions. Let me see, this might work, I think this works. I like Buddha's words here, I like Confucius's words here. They're trying to assemble their own, you know, their own little religion. They're, they're, they're really idolatrous, they're fashioning this, uh, an image of their own God, how they want him to be, and then following that direction and expecting God to bless. It don't work that way. There are many dealers in life. You can bring your car to any dealer, any garage, but then there's certified authorized dealers. You try and find out what your purpose in life by going to Anthony Robbins, he's not an authorized dealer. He don't know what you're called to do. He, he's, <laughs> he doesn't know nothing. You can go to a Muslim temple, you can go to a Buddhist temple, you can go to anywhere and try and figure out your purpose. And it's always going to come short because they're not authorized dealers. Jesus Christ, the Bible, and God himself, and the Holy Ghost, the Trinity in one, they are the only authorized dealers. And the Bible is our manual that helps us discover exactly our purpose for being on the earth. And I said it before, and I want to read this actually. I was going to read Proverbs chapter 4, but I'm going to call an audible and go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, the Bible says this in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And remember, Jesus said, those who love me, they obey me. To those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. To those that are following God's purpose. So not all, all things don't work together for those that are doing their own thing in life. That's where people come up with all kinds of disturbing theology. You know, that person, they, they went to church. You know, going to church is not the end all of following God's purpose for your life. That's just one of the elementary, uh, elementary foundational elements of being a servant and a Christian. A servant of God and a Christian. But that's not the end all. It's not you getting saved. The purpose of it is not just you going to church. That's where you, you draw support and you draw a life from, from the preaching and all that. But church is not the end all. The purpose of the objective of God is not for you to just plop your butt in a church every Sunday and just get rapture ready. There's a purpose. There's a specific thing that God wants you to do on the earth. There's a career. There's a business. There is a ministry that God wants you to take full heed unto so that you can fulfill it. The Bible says all things work together only for those who are called according to his purpose. Those that are accomplishing God's task for their life on the earth. Remember, 2 Peter 1.3 says this. God's divine power has been given to us for all things pertaining, pertaining to life and godliness. Life and godliness. All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose and his divine power has been given to all towards uh, pertaining to life and godliness. So God's power is available towards those who are going to follow his plan for their life and his assignment for their life. 
That's why Joseph, even if he was a prisoner under Potiphar's charge, God prospered him. Because he was, fought, he was directly in the middle of, of God's will. Even when he was in a prisoner charged wrongly for rape, the Bible says that the prison, the prison guard put him charge over all things in the prison. And he was the, the main uh, jail master after that. And then within a couple of days, he went from being a jailman to being the prime minister of all of Egypt because he kept his eyes on the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. We know that all things work together for good to those who, who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For God, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, get this, he also glorified. So the end goal of God's calling you is to glorify, to, to, to bring a glorious, enviable destiny and life out of you, to show you off as a billboard to your generation. Serving God is profitable. Serving God is, is, is enviable. Serving God is something that you want to do in your generation. Bible says those whom he called, the end goal was he also did glorify. He also did glorify. So God's plan is not to be determined, it's to be discovered. You don't just come up with a plan and ask God to bless it. You read 1 Kings 13, the Bible talks about the man of God who had a glorious experience with, with uh, God's power. If you can read it for yourself, there was a king who um, was a wicked king, the man of God comes in, he pronounces a judgment on him. When the king heard those words of judgment, he stretched out his hand towards the man of God and tried to curse him. When he did that, his hand like withered away. And so he asked the man of God, pray that my hand be restored. The man of God did it. The altar split and his hand was restored. And so fear swept throughout the entire land concerning this guy. They, they, this was God's man of the hour. This was God's man on the earth. And the Bible says he then moved on. He had instructions to not eat or drink with anyone and to go back to his own house through another way. Don't stop. Don't lobby. Just go straight back to your home. As he's on his way back, a prophet rises up and see, hears about all the great things that he had accomplished. Tells the man of God, why don't you come and eat and drink with me? He said, no, prophet. I can't do that. I have specific instructions to go back to my home. And I can't deviate from that path. The prophet said, no, no, no. An angel came to me. An angel came to me and told me uh, that you actually should come and eat with me and dine with me. And he used God's name in vain. The, the man of God turned in, dined with him, and as they're eating, the prophet rose up and says, thus saith the Lord, because you disobeyed my voice, you're not going to live much longer. He, he leaves that house, on his way back home, a lion comes in, devours him, and then stands by his body. And the man of God ended up dying, because he deviated from the path that God had set out for his life. Beware. When somebody comes to you and starts giving you these prophetic words that God's calling you to do this, God's calling you to do that, and you've never, ever even had it in your heart to do any of those things. God's, listen to this, the office of the prophet in the Old Testament was to direct. 
and, uh, and, and, and oftentimes to bring something new, revelation, and even to, to give instructions to certain people that they may have, may have never even heard of before. But the office of the prophet in the New Testament is to confirm, to direct through confirm, confirmation. So oftentimes it looks like this. There's a man of God I know. He was looking at a property to purchase and acquire across the street. He had it in his heart. A prophet came to his ministry and told him the, pro the property across the street, you're to buy that. It wasn't something new to him. It was just a confirmation of what God had already spoken to his spirit. Remember, they that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you're a son of God, a child of God, you have direct access to the leading and direction of the Spirit of God. You don't have to rely. There's too many Christians that are relying on the ministry of a prophet in the New Testament and they're getting off into error and they're getting off into, into doing life-threatening mistakes as a result of it. The ministry of the prophet in the New Testament is to confirm. Paul, he already knew. The Spirit had already told him that when he gets to Jerusalem, chains and affliction await him. Agabus, the prophet, finds him, takes his belt, binds his hands, and, his, and he binds his feet with something else, another rope. And he says, so shall the people do at Jerusalem to the one who owns this belt and this rope. Paul wasn't like, Paul wasn't freaking out. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I never heard that before. Oh, thank you for warning me. Paul knew exactly what awaited him at Jerusalem and the prophet Agabus just confirmed it. And they tried to persuade Paul not to go, but Paul said, why do you break your, my heart like this by trying to prevent me from following God's will? I'm ready to die. I'm ready to suffer persecution for his name and I'm ready even to die for the name of Jesus Christ if need be. So the, don't get off like this man of God did in 1 Kings 13, just trying to rely, doing these call-in services on Christian television. Oh, I just need a word. I need a word. You need a word? Get into his word. You need direction? Pray. If any man lacks wisdom, he, God will give him the wisdom that he needs. And he won't rebuke him for asking for direction in life. He'll give him exactly what he needs. God's not, get this in your spirit today. God's not trying to withhold his plans for you. The Bible says very clearly, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, God's special possession. God's not trying to withhold what he's trying to do with you. He's not trying to hold back direction. He desires eagerly to make his will known to you. But you have to have a hunger and a thirst in your spirit that says, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to be ruled by what I feel. I'm not going to be ruled and directed by money because we're lacking money. So I guess I should just go out and do this. No, I'm going to be ruled by thus saith the Lord. I'm going to be ruled by the word of the Lord came unto me. I'm shocked by how many people just do things in life haphazardly. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Therefore, you should run to obtain the prize. Don't just run in life aimlessly. Run to obtain the prize. And he says, I box not as one beat in the air. I know what I'm hitting. God has put a target in my life and I'm moving towards that target. I run not with uncertainty. I'm not running in circles hoping that somewhere I'll land in God's will. I run with absolute certainty. Paul said it this way, I keep to the path. 
that God has me on. He said in 1 Corinthians 7, let every man abide in the same calling in which he was called. So you locate the calling of God and then you abide in that calling. Bible, let me read this. 2 Peter, actually 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter and the first chapter. This is what Peter, this is what Peter said. Actually, it's 2 Peter 1. Sorry about that. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, reason, give all diligence. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Be diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you move on, uh, if you... Read verse 8, it says, For if these things are yours, talking about knowledge, self-control, perseverance, God, brotherly kindness, and love. If these things are yours, you'll not be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these things is short-sighted, even unto blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. So the Bible says you can do things in life to, ma to make your calling sure. You can be diligent in your calling or you can ignore your calling and veer off into something else. We're, and that's where hurt comes from. I said it before, there's a lot of ministers that, forget ministers, there's a lot of Christians that were told to do a certain thing, go a certain place. They didn't. So they forfeited God's hand of protection on their life. Then things started to go haywire in their life. And instead of taking the blame themselves and saying, I screwed up. They say, well, you know what? You have your plans, but God has his. Blaming, putting the blame on God. What pride? What pride? Instead, when things aren't going straight in life, when I see that crooked places aren't being made straight, which the Bible says in Isaiah 45, I have found my servant, I have found my anointed one Cyrus, whose right hand I have upheld, I will bring him through the double doors, the gate will not be shut, meaning when you follow God and he have, you walk hand in hand with him, doors will continuously open to you and the doors he opens will never be able to be made shut. And then it says, I will go before him and make every crooked place straight. I'll make every rough path smooth. So when things, crooked places aren't being made straight and rough paths being made smooth, you can know it's not God that's doing, it's, it's not God that's making those those ways crooked and not smooth it's your own reluctance when you're not following god's plan and not walking in line with his will it's your own reluctance to do those things that's keeping those ways crooked so don't blame god for your own shortcomings i, I don't understand how there's so many promises in this book that talk about you know what eye has not seen what ear has not heard what has never entered the heart of man. Those are the things God has prepared for those that love Him and do His will. And then when you start seeing things go wrong in life, automatically it must be God. I don't understand how people are so quick to blame God. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, when a man is foolish, it twists his life, his way. But then his heart gets angry against God. 
When you take foolish action and make foolish choices, it's your own foolish choices that are going to twist your way. So don't get angry at God. Do like David did. Lord, if there's anything harmful in me, if there's anything that I'm doing wrong, anything that I need to be corrected on, I'm an open book right now. I, 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 read me and tell me what I need to change and shift in life. And I will do it. And you'll find out the moment you shift that, how quickly things will come back into alignment. What follows submission to God's will? I want to read Psalm 23 because it shows you exactly what following God will produce in your life. Psalm 23, listen to this. What follows the person that is intent in following God's will? Remember, the Bible says, these signs will follow those who believe. So it's not me. That's a problem with a lot of Christians. There's so many people that are trying to find blessing. They're trying to chase after blessing. Blessing is not something to be chased after. Blessing is something to follow you as you follow God's instructions in life. This is what Psalm 23 says. The Lord is my shepherd. So when the Lord is your shepherd, when you tie yourself to God's will, when you are intent in carrying out God's instructions, when you refuse to go your way and you said, Lord, it's your way and your way alone. The first thing that follows is I shall not want. Lack leaves the moment you follow God. Provision comes. Provision is the number one thing that's going to come when you are, when you are in God's, uh, God's way for your life. 1 Kings 17, Elijah proclaims a drought on the land. There's no rain for three and a half years. But God says, now go by the brook of Sherith. I've commanded, I have commanded wit, um, ravens to provide for you there. So in the midst of the whole entire land of Israel struggling financially, Elijah was eating filet mignon every day and every night. And then he drank from the brook of Sherith. So when there was no water anywhere else, there was this reserved plot of land that had a brook streaming through it that had water for Elijah to drink from. He had provision. Provision is not uh, the source that you, of your provision in life is not people, it's not even your job, it's not good economic times, it's God. And so no matter how great of the economy is in your nation, if you're not in, so people say, well, I know if I, was in, if I was in a certain part of my nation, if I was in the main city, if I went to Montreal, or if I lived in this area, if I lived in that country, I'd be rich. No, you'd be just as poor as you are now. You can't escape the curse of poverty if you're intent on going the opposite direction of where God's trying to take you. You can't escape it. You can't just go to another. The curse, it, 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 it goes beyond geography. It'll follow you to a prosperous nation. And on the flip side, if you're in an, impo in an impoverished nation, the blessing of not wanting or not lacking anything, the blessing of abundance, if you're in God's will, will follow you and locate you no matter where you're at. So you can be in the most prosperous nation and be poor as Job's turkey, or you can be in the most impoverished nation and be as blessed as um, Obed-Edom was because you're, you're walking in line with God. You're hand in hand with God. You're, you're, you're intent on going in God's direction for your life. So stop blaming your location. Instead, look inwardly. There's too many people, they blame man, they blame their family. 
I come from a poor family. I come from a poor background. It has nothing to do. There's so many people I know. There's pastors that I can quote right now. They came from the poorest nations and the poorest families in those nations. God doesn't call the wise, doesn't call the rich, doesn't call the noble. Know ye not your calling? When you were called, you were foolish. You were based, abased, the Bible says. You were impoverished. The scripture says you were weak. God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. God called David, who wasn't even, wasn't even brought out by his own father when Samuel came to anoint the sons of Jesse. He was the least in his father's house, but God chose him because he had a heart. He was ready to do anything God asked him to do. So the first thing that follows you when you're in God's will and following God's purpose is you will not want. You'll be in abundance. Luke 22, Jesus said to his disciples, when I sent you out without purse, script, or money, did you lack anything? He said, they said, no, we didn't lack anything. And Judas was still in the company of, of, of the disciples at that point. Oh, sorry, not Judas, Thomas. Thomas was in the company of the disciples at that point. It wasn't in the upper room when he wasn't there and Jesus appeared. This was, this was before Jesus was crucified and before um, Jesus rose again. Jesus asked his disciples, when I sent you out, did you lack anything? Thomas said, no, doubting Thomas, realistic Thomas. So if they really did lack something, Thomas would have spoke up and said, well, actually, yeah, we, we, we really, you know, there are times we didn't go, we went days without eating when you sent, no, he said we didn't lack anything. So their, their uh, ability to not lack, their ability to flourish, their ability to, to walk in abundance was based on them being sent out and them going. When the Lord is your shepherd, you will not lack. Number two, he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me by still waters. That shows you peace. Peace follows you when you walk in line with God's will. If life is a drudgery and complete depression all the time, you can know there's something wrong. There's, an, there, there's something that's misaligned in your life. Because as I said before, Paul was in a prison cell and he was telling, writing the believers, rejoice always. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all knowledge, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He makes you to lie down in green pastures. He leads you by still waters. Isaiah 48 says, if uh, you'll listen to me, I'll teach you to profit and I'll lead you in the way you should go. Oh, oh, had you listened to me, then your peace would have been like a river. And your righteousness like the ways of the sea. Moving on. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of, of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That shows you protection will follow you when you're smack in the middle of God's will. God will protect you. He'll cover you. The Bible says he hides you in the pavilion of his presence from the secret plots of men. The scripture says, David said this, though an army encamps against me, the war rises up against me. In this I shall be confident. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. Therefore, of what shall I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? The Bible says he'll guard your going in and he'll guard your going out. 
Deuteronomy 28 says, He will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They will rise up one way and be defeated and scattered seven ways. Protection follows those that follow God. My, uh, my mentor, Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, tells a story when he was in India once. And he was supposed to get on a, on a train to go to the next crusade site. For some odd reason, I forget what the reason was. He either didn't have, he either didn't get his ticket in time or he missed his train that day because there was traffic. For one reason or the other, he didn't get on that train. Well, the next day, the headline in that region of India that he was in was that the train he was supposed to get on crashed, it derailed, and all 200 and something people died in the crash. He would have died in that crash, crash and never got into the crusade site, not even the next day. God protected him supernaturally caused him to miss that train because he knew that train wasn't going to make it there when you follow god god's protection will follow you jesus the bible says always did the will of him who sent me he said i do not my own will but only the will of god who sent me the father who sent me and the bible says there were times where the people picked up stones to stone him but he passed right through the midst of them and he passed right on it doesn't matter who's against you if you are backed by God, you're, you're gonna, it's impossible to kill you. Impossible to kill you before your time. It doesn't matter if all the world joins hand against you and if armies lined up against you and arrayed themselves against your home tomorrow morning. Just like in Elisha's day, he was divulging the secrets of the king of Assyria to the king of Israel. He got ticked off, found out Elisha was the prophet doing it, sent his army to kill Elisha and his servant. What happened? God, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. The servant of Elisha looked behind and there were chariots of fire lined up around Elisha because Elisha was in line with divine direction. It secured divine protection and there were chariots of fire all around Elisha. And his servant. And they, 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 it was an, they were unable to kill him. There's an inability. It's impossible to kill a man that's on a mission with God. That's why I'll be on a plane. I was on a plane in, in uh, June. And we had a very, very rough landing. And the stewardess that was next to me, who had been on jet planes for, I think she was in 27 years of, uh, of her job. 27 years of flying. She said, I've never experienced a landing like this. And she looked at me. I was totally calm. Totally. I, I, I looked like I had been on more flights than she had. The reason why I was so calm and at peace was not because, well, if I die, I'll make it. I know I'm going to heaven. So that's the peace I have. No, the peace I had was that I'm on a mission here. I'm on assignment. I've not finished the thing that God has shown me that I'm going to do and accomplish in my generation. And as such, nobody can wipe me out. That's why it's important to get a picture of the, the grand plan of God for your life. Because when you have a picture of where you're going, you're not worried about little things that come along the way. Whether you're going to make it or not. Whether you, No, I know. Like Paul. Paul wasn't worried as to whether he was going to get to Rome or not. He had an instruction from God himself saying, you must by all means stand before Caesar at Rome. So he knew the shipwrecked in Acts 27. I ain't dying. I'm not done. 
And I ain't dying till I'm done. Paul had an absolute confidence. I have a vision. That's why the Bible says in Habakkuk 2, sit and watch to see what God will speak to you. When he gives you the vision, write the vision down on tablets of stone. We don't have tablets of stone, but we have iPads and we have paper. Write the vision down. Read it and run with it. Because though the vision will tarry, and it may tarry, in the end, it's absolutely going to speak. That's why I can't get discouraged. That's why when I started out these broadcasts that the Lord told me to do, He told me, I don't do these broadcasts because I feel like doing these broadcasts. I've grown to love these broadcasts, but I actually, I held off on doing these broadcasts for a year and a half after God told me to get online. I held off because I didn't like being behind a camera. I didn't like being, I, 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 I was awkward. And I still am awkward. But, I do it because God told me to do it and I've grown fond of these broadcasts. I love doing these broadcasts. I look forward to doing these broadcasts. But I didn't get on just because I wanted to. The Lord told me, get on line. There's a message you carry that's going to reach people that you'll never reach in person. Get online. I got online and we had eight people watching. Nine people. For months. Ten people. Four people sometimes. I, there'd be broadcasts. I'd have three people watching. I could have got discouraged. I could have said, well, you know what? I'm just going to quit. Forget it. Why am I going to do a broadcast where nobody even wants to listen to me? This is, I, I, I didn't do that because I had a vision. I know I'm going to have a broadcast that is going to reach the far corners of the earth. I know that whatever subscribers we have now. Now, I don't do it so I can have big subscriptions, so I can become a YouTube celebrity. I don't want to be a YouTube celebrity. I want... A million subscribers, 10 million subscribers, because that means 10 million people are feeding from the word of God regularly. And I'm reaching more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I didn't get discouraged when I had three people. Now look, we have 131 people and that's even low because we usually get 150, 160. And I don't say that to brag, I boast in the Lord. I boast in, the Bible says, if any man boasts, boast not in his strength, boast not in his wisdom, boast in this, that he understands my plan and he's followed it and he knows me. I boast in the Lord because God is a God of increase. The, pe the reason why pe most people don't follow God's plan or they don't even bother to even find out what God's plan is for their life is mainly they don't trust his intentions and they don't trust or they don't believe that God's reliable or dependable. They don't trust his plan of increase. They've heard that God, just like the parable of the ten talent, the five, two, and the one talents. The five talent took the five talent. The one man who received the five talents took the five talents. He sowed it. He got five more talents. Then the other one that had the two did it. He got two more talents. The other one that took the one talent, what did he do? He buried it. What was his reason for burying it? For not doing anything with it. To just sitting on his sorry behind. And just, eh, guess I'll just do, guess I'll just settle for this in life. The reason why he did that was, he, he said, I knew you to be a harsh taskmaster. He had such a perverted image of God's goodness that he said, there's, not, there's no even point bothering with this talent because it's never going to increase. It's probably nothing good. It's probably nothing great. Most people don't seek out what God's will is for their life. And even if they find it, they don't move on it because they have a fear that God's intentions are perverted. 
that God doesn't really want to increase them, that God, God's plan's not the best plan, that they can come up with something even better. What a lie from the pit of hell. Imagine if jo Joseph believed that. Joseph sitting in that ditch that his own brothers had sold him in after having received such a grandiose plan, such a, an amazing destiny God had put in his heart. He gets sold or he gets sold into slavery. And before that, he's thrown into a ditch and he thought he was going to rot and die the rest, just live off the rest of his days in that ditch and die in starvation. Imagine if Joseph had said, you know, I guess this is the end of the road. You know, they told me that following God's plan would never Never bring anything great, but you know what? At least I was faithful to the end. Joseph knew this isn't the end of the road. That's why when he was in Potiphar's house, he didn't just give up. Why am I going to do that? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek a way of escape. I'm going to try and leave. I'm going to leave this prison cell. This guy doesn't even appreciate all that I do for him. What did he do? The Bible says the spirit of the Lord, the, 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 the blessing of God was on him. And Potiphar saw that everything Joseph had prospered and increased and flourished. Joseph was faithful at the level that he was at. And it brought promotion and increase. Because Joseph understood, this ain't the end of the road. I know that what God put in my spirit is going to be actualized one day. I'm going to realize it. What I've seen in my spirit, I'm going to see with my eyes one day. So when he got thrown into prison, after Potiphar's wife wrongly accused him, he didn't get discouraged there. He still carried on. I know that this isn't the end of the road. And I know God didn't call me to die and rot in a prison cell. Until I see my brothers bow to me, I know that I'm not done yet. He kept moving. And he was faithful in the prison. And he became the jail master. And then, when the opportunity arose, he came before Pharaoh and gave him the plan to preserve the whole nation and the entire world from uh, extinction. And in that one moment, he became prime minister of Egypt. And then not too long after, his own brothers came and bowed. He didn't get discouraged because he was at a small level. He wrote the vision down and he read it and he focused on it. That's why discouragement is easy to come when you're focused on your problems and you're focused on the trial and you're focused on the obstacle and you're focused on the adversary and you're focused on all the things that have come against you. Quit having the woe is me mentality. Woe is me. Nothing ever works. Instead, focus on the fact that what I has not seen what ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of man, those are the things God has reserved for me. And until I see that glorious destiny that's been packaged for me by God himself, I'm not giving up, I'm not growing weary, I'm not throwing in the towel and quitting. He that began a good work in me, God wouldn't call me to fail. God wouldn't call me to, to defeat. God doesn't call you to a less place in life. God always calls you. To come to a high place. That's why he said, those who wait on the Lord, they shall mount up on wings like eagles. Not those that wait on the Lord. Life's going to be hard and they're going to struggle all the way through it. They will mount up on wings like eagles. What does that mean? You're going to be soaring high when everybody's just like a pigeon feeding off the ground and the junk and the garbage. You'll be soaring high. You'll have a bird's eye view. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 58, I'll feed you with the portion of your father Jacob, and you'll ride on the high places of the earth. Oh, hallelujah. There's a high place in life if you're interested in it. But the what ladder to climb is not 
the ladder of networking. It's not the ladder of good connections in life. It's not the ladder of, let me use my father's last name. It's not the ladder. There's a lot of people who their parents were great and then their, the children ended up being nothing because they thought they can just write off their parents' last name their entire life. The ladder to climb is faithfulness to God's vision for your life. Because in the end, the vision's going to speak. And I'll tell you, when God's vision speaks, it speaks loudly. Reinhard Bonnke had a vision of a blood-washed Africa. He had three dreams, three nights in a row, where blood was on the continent of Africa, dripping down, and he heard a mighty voice shouting, Africa shall be saved. And he started to do little crusades. Didn't look like much, but he kept to the vision, knowing that God was going to use him to reach the continent. Well, he died at 79 years old, and he had 79 million registered decisions for Christ throughout his entire ministry. If you think you can better, Jeremiah 1, before you were born, I consecrated you as a prophet to the nation. And before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. God formed you and God has consecrated you for a specific task in life. And if you think that your way is going to account to a higher place in life than God's way, you don't know the Bible. The Bible isn't a book of people joining hands with God and then things going real sour. The Bible is a book of low-level people. Have-nots, the despised, the debased, the outcast, the rejects of society. Look at Paul. Paul was the guy that held the clothes while the other Pharisees went and stoned Stephen. He wasn't even, he was nothing in his religious system. It was just a guy that held their clothes. Oh, you're going to stone him? Can I come? No, hold our clothes. Okay. And then, <laughs> look at now. We read from Paul every single day. Letters from Paul are being read all across the world. Paul is being preached. There's Sao Paulo, Brazil. Sao Paulo, Brazil, which is St. Paul. You have whole cities named after him. You look at David, the outcast. Then in one chapter, he's, the national anthem of Israel is David, uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. The Bible says very clearly, the little one I will make into a strong nation and the small one will be like a thousand when he follows me. When you follow God, no matter how small of a level you're at in life right now, it's the smallest you'll ever be. You'll never know a better last year with God. You'll never know a better last month with God. God has a constant plan of increase for your life. That's why the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. At first it's so small, it's insignificant. You don't even want to use it. You, you just throw it away. But when it's sown, it indeed brings forth a tree that is larger than any other tree in the field and the birds come and nest in its branches. I tell you in the name of Jesus, this is for somebody watching right now and if that's you, just put amen in the comment section. But this is for somebody today. There have been many that have mocked your dedication to God and many that have, comp uh, have, have, have scoffed you because it seems like You've started small and you've stayed small. But you've gone through a testing phase. And God has counted you to be faithful. And now, God is going to bring unprecedented increase. Where the ones that mocked you are going to come to you and say, how was it done? And you'll reply saying, the Lord. But the Lord. Nothing but the Lord. 
And all of your accusers and greatest critics will actually come alongside you and feed from the wisdom of God in your mouth and in your life. In Jesus' mighty name. Just like God shut the mouths of the lions in Daniel's day, He'll shut the mouths of your accusers. And when men are saying there's a casting down, and men have said, you're, you're only going to go lower, just give up and quit like Job's wife. Just curse God and die. He went through that testing phase, but if he, because he didn't curse God, because he stuck to God's way, because he refused to comply with the world system and said, I'm going God's way. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give offering because I know my increase is coming. Job's life at the end, God blessed the latter days of Job better than the first days. He had double everything that, the, that he had lost, that the devil had taken from him in the first place. I tell you in the name of Jesus Christ. All those that have scoffed and have, were your greatest accusers and biggest critics will come back and have no choice but to praise God on account of your life. Just like Psalm 126 says, when the Lord brought the captivity back to Zion, they were like them that dream. And even the heathen said, the Lord has blessed them. We, we are but glad for them. The Lord has blessed them and we are glad. Hallelujah. Let me go through, before I move on to how can I know God's specific calling for my life, and I'm going to give you practical keys to locating God's specific calling for your life, I want to go through seven foundational pillars of God's general will for your life. Seven things that God, God's general will is for everybody that calls upon the name of the Lord. Seven things that are foundational. In God's general will for your life. Number one, God's general will for your life is that you live holy. The Bible says very clearly, this is the will of God for your life. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. The Bible says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You are to know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and in honor. This is the will of God for your life. So if some, some people are saying, Lord, I want to know your specific will, until you finish and or until you carry out God's general will for your life, you're not entitled or a candidate to receive specific instructions for your life. Until you put your hand to the plow of God's general will for your life, his will for everyone that calls on the name of the Lord, you are not eligible to receiving specific instructions from his mouth. Before David received the instruction to kill Goliath, he was tending to the few flock. He was faithful in what he knew to do before God gave him instructions in what to do. Be faithful in what you know to do and God will give you instructions in what you are to do. And what do we know to do? Live holy. Number one, live holy. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord, the Bible says. Scripture says very clearly, there are vessels in a house for honorable use and some for dishonor. But sanctify yourself, Paul told Timothy. Purify yourself and you will be a vessel for honorable use. God can't even use you in what he wants to do with you until you put away malice and every other unclean thing from your life. The Bible says if the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. The way you maintain the flavor 
of your life, the way you maintain the flavor of salt in your life is by staying holy. Ye also be holy, even as your heavenly Father is holy. Number two, pray always. The Bible says that men ought always to pray and never to lose heart. The scripture says that we are to pray without ceasing. Romans 12 says it this way. We are to be steadfast or fervent in prayer. Fervent in spirit, steadfast in prayer, serving the Lord. Luke chapter 18 says, men ought always to pray, never to lose heart. And then Jude 20 says, that beloved, pray always in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up on your most holy faith. You have to maintain a life of prayer or else you're never, prayer is literally where we go in and receive our instructions for, for, for what God's called us to do. So it's impossible to receive instructions if you haven't picked up the phone of prayer. Prayer is what guarantees your connectivity with heaven to receive the downloads into your spirit as to what he wants you to do. So it's impossible for you to receive or for God to install his specific instructions in your, instructions in your heart and in your spirit if you don't have that connection of prayer set up in your life. We're to pray always. The reason why Jesus always knew what to do is because he arose a long while before daylight, he went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And the Bible says he stayed on the mountain long, uh, all through the night, praying to God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, you know that with prayers and loud cries and tears, he offered up supplication and prayers to God, and God heard him. The Bible says very clearly, Jesus, before he went to the cross, he prayed and he prayed at least an hour, we know, because he told the disciples, could you not stay up with me one hour, at least one hour? He prayed, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not mine will, but thine be done. As he prayed, the will of God was solidified and con uh, was solidified in his spirit. Number three, what are we to do in, our, in God's general will? We are to know God's will. Study to show thyself approved. A workman who knew, need not be ashamed. You'll never know God's specific will uh, un, until you study His word. His word is the custodian of His specific will for your life. You'll find out within God's word is packaged God's specific word, tailor-made word for you. Many a times I've done things and taken action in life based on a rhema word that came and jumped into my spirit from the word of God, from the Bible. God speaks to you from his word. He oft oftentimes you'll hear things that the word of the Lord came unto me and the word of God spoke and, God, and the prophet said, thus saith the Lord. And Abraham, Abraham moved out because of that which was written of him, that I'll make you a father of many nations. So Abraham's direction in life was because of what he heard from God. That's why the Bible says in Romans 4, Abraham against hope believed according to that which was written of him. So the word of God shows you what's written of you and it actually will generate a faith in you to, to move with God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, as newborn babes, you are to desire the sincere, the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. These are general things that every Christian should be doing. Number three is knowing God's word. Number four is evangelizing. Mark chapter 16, go ye therefore into all world, the world, preach the gospel to all creation. These signs will follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick. They'll cast out devils. So you see here that 
That command, that instruction wasn't just to the disciples, it was to everyone. What I say to you, I say to all, Jesus said. Go ye therefore and preach this gospel. Paul said that um, I made it my aim to preach the gospel of Christ, not where Christ was named, lest I should preach or build on another man's foundation. The Bible says it very clearly. I went from Ilericum to Jerusalem, fully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mandate of being an ambassador from heaven is not to a specific group of special believers or religious zealots or fervent people. It's to everyone that calls on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, know ye not, ye are ambassadors of Christ. God pleading through you, be reconciled to our generation. That was speaking to everyone. Paul was speaking to the church at large. You are an ambassador of heaven. You have been charged. Paul told Timothy, I charge you. I charge you before God who will judge the living and the dead. Be ready in season and out of season to preach, to exhort with long suffering and doctrine. Every Christian should be preaching and evangelizing. Number five, be thankful. Psalm 92 says, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, to sing praises to God's name, to the Lord Most High. For then you'll be like a tree firmly planted, and you will flourish in the courts of God. And it says even in old age you'll bear fruit and still be flourishing. So the, God's general will for you is to be thankful, to be grateful in life. And when you're grateful, gratitude will determine your attitude. If you're highly grateful, you'll be high. You'll be a high flyer in life. You'll go to places that other people can't go. People that are complainers never amount to anything. But people that are thankful. Well, I don't know what I have to be thankful. It seems like nothing's going right in life. If, if you have lost anything, it's only because of God that you haven't lost everything. So focus on the things that you do have and be thankful to God. Acknowledge God in all your ways and He will direct your paths. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says that we are to pray without ceasing and then in everything be thankful to God, which is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for you to be thankful. Number six, you are to walk in love. Every believer is to walk in love. You are to walk in compassion. The Bible says, faith worketh by love. He that does not love his brother has never seen God, nor does he know God. You cannot walk in bitterness and unforgiveness and without mercy towards your fellow brothers and sisters and claim to know God. You're a liar, you're a hypocrite, and the love of God is not in you. And you're going to hell. That's just what the Bible says. That's not my vision, version of it. That's not my interpretation. The Bible says, he that does not love does not know God. And the Bible says that there will be many on that day that will say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons. We worked many miracles in your name. But Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you doers of lawlessness. Lawlessness. And what's the greatest law? Jesus said it. To love thy the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, or it's equal to it. Love your brother or your neighbor, even as you love yourself. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. Let me read this. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 through 8. Listen to this. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in all your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to, hospitable to one another without any grumbling. Love forgives. Love is kind. Love is not boastful. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. You, the Bible says you can have all the gift of prophecy to reveal all the mysteries of the will. 
You can have the gift of faith so as to uproot mountains all across the world. You can give all your goods to the poor. But if you have not love, it profits you nothing. You are nothing and it amounts to nothing. You'll be a clanging cymbal and a sounding brass. The Bible says love is kind. Love is, does not envy. Love is not boastful. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endears all things. Love forgives. If you're holding on to something that someone did to you 15 years ago, and you said, uh, I'll never forgive them, well, neither will God forgive you. Because the Bible says that um, if any man forgiveth not his brother his trespasses, neither shall your heavenly Father not forgive you. The Bible says there was a parable. Jesus said that a man had a debt, a, a crazy debt that he owed to a king. He couldn't pay it, but he pleaded for mercy. The king forgave him his debt. Then that same man went out and found another man who owed him like a fraction of that. And he took him, pinned him to the wall and said, pay me everything. The man begged him and said, just have mercy on me. I'll pay you everything. The, the man said, no, I'm not having any mercy. I'm not going to show you any mercy. And he threw him into debtor's prison. When the king... Of, the, of, of that servant heard what he had done. He called him and he said, is it true that you did that? Shouldn't you have shown mercy just like I showed mercy on you? Indeed now, I'm gonna, the Bible says he, he turned him over to the torturers to be cut up and to be uh, apportioned with the unbelievers. When you don't walk in love, God will turn you over to the torturers. When you don't walk in forgiveness, God turns you over to the tormentors. Not just, that's not just talking about hell. That's talking about here on this earth. God will turn you over to, to, to demonic torment. The Bible says the cruel man troubles his own flesh. When you're cruel and you won't forgive people who've asked you for forgiveness, and even those who haven't, it's your duty as a Christian to forgive no matter what they've done to you. I don't care how bad it is. Because if you take that and compare it to how bad your sin was in God's sight and what He should have done and could have done to you, it's not to be compared. That's why the Bible says, be tender-hearted and kind to one another, forgiving others, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be thankful. And for, number six is walk in love. Forgive, forget, move on. Beware lest any bitterness spring up in you and defile the many. Don't disqualify yourself from the blessing of God, just because some moron did something to you years ago and you refused to forgive him. They were dumb. They did it to you. Forgive, forget. Don't associate with them anymore. Move on to something else. Just because you forgive doesn't mean you have to be befriend the people that, that wronged you time and time again. You can be kind to them. You can love them, but love them at a distance. Move on. Go to something else. Number seven and the final foundational pillar of God's general uh, will for your life is you need to serve in the local church. Romans chapter 12 says we are to be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. You can't say that you love Christ and not be a part of his body. We are members in particular of the body of Jesus Christ. You're connected. Don't ever be a lone wolf in the body of Christ. Don't try and get off alone and do your own thing and I don't need church. Church, church all the church wants is your money. Really? What does McDonald's want? You think you, they want your health? and They don't just want your health. They want your money. <laughs> the church doesn't just want your money. The church is the organism, of, uh, 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 the organism of God on the earth. It's the body of Christ on the earth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is Jesus moving on the earth. 
So if you're not moving with your local church, you're not moving with Jesus. Billy Graham used to say, you can't tell me you love God and hate his body. You can't. Be, and, and don't speak ill of the church. That's another thing I'll tell you. Never speak ill of the church. Don't ever talk bad about Christ's body. I don't care who's wronged you in the church. Don't ever speak ill of the church. Cover your mouth. Lest something stupid come out and you pronounce judgment on yourself. The church is God, the apple of God's eye. It's the precious bride of Christ. And just like I don't let anybody speak ill of my wife, God, Jesus will not let anybody speak ill of his bride. So be careful what you say of the church. And then point seven is serve in the local church. Don't just be someone who feeds off the local church. Plug in. Find out what you're good at and plug in in whatever capacity you can at the moment. Make time to, to volunteer, to offer up your hands and your feet. Don't just say, well, I give. God doesn't just want your, God doesn't just want your money. God wants your heart. Matter of fact, he, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even want your money. He wants your heart. And in your heart, you're going to give money to the church. That's obvious. Because you can't say you love something and not give financially to it. Just like I didn't give my wife a, 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 a what do you call them, ring pop when I wanted to engage her. And marry her. I gave her a diamond ring. Because I love her. In the same vein. When you love the church. You give to the church. But you don't just. I don't just. <laughs> could you imagine all I do is send checks to my wife. Every so often. Like almost like I was paying child support. But I never was with her. I never wanted anything to do with her. Never spent time with her. We never went on dates. Never did anything together. Never watched movies together. Just sent her money every so often. That's how some people do it. They go to church. And then they just send money. They just send money thinking that that's enough. It's not enough. Serve in the local church. The Bible says that uh, just as the husband is the head of the wife and the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church, the wife is to love the husband and serve and submit to the husband. And Paul says, I'm not talking about simply marriage. I'm talking about our marriage to Christ. We're to serve and submit to the vision of Christ by plugging in our resources, our time, our talents, and our skills. If you're good at music, go sign up to the music team. Lay aside your pride and your shyness. Submit. Serve in the local music, the local church and the music team. Stop hiding away your talents like the one that buried it away because he was afraid. Fear robs people of great places that God wants to take them to. I was afraid, so I hid it. Don't let fear rob you of where God can take you if you'll serve the local church in what God's gifted you in doing. The Bible says that each one of you have received a gift, so minister it to one another. God gave you a gift. Don't say, well, I'm not good at anything. I guarantee you, you're good at something. Maybe you're good at hospitality. Maybe you're good at, at, at taking care of children. Sign up to the children's ministry at your church. Maybe you're good at preaching. Pray that the Lord will open up a door to speak. The next time they open up the mic to pray, pray. Maybe you're good at accounting. Offer up your talents to, to deal with the, the, the church's finances and accounting, to do their bookkeeping or whatever. Maybe you're a landscaper. Offer your pastor, free of charge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
redo your entire landscape. I'm going to make it five star. I'm going to make it look real good. Maybe you're a contractor or you're a renovator. Redo the church bathroom that's still leaking and smells. Plug in in whatever capacity you can. Those are seven ways. Seven, seven foundational pillars of God's general will for your life. Now I want to move into my last part. And that is four things that I, five things that I've written down. And I'm going to skip through these quickly. But five things that I've written down that you, that will help you. Five ways to locate what God has placed you on this earth to do. Five ways to identify God's plan for your life. Five sure, fail-proof ways that allow you to identify what God's calling you to do. And remember, you're either in life running with a vision, burning with a passion, or you're reduced to a burden. Don't be a liability in life. In the kingdom of God. Be an asset. Be someone plugged in to God's kingdom. That's making your life count. And lavishly using your resources, your time, your energy, your talent, your skill. To, to serve God's purposes on the earth. So that you're the one that stands before Jesus one day and he says, Well done my good and faithful servant. You were faithful. On the earth. Now come and be entrusted with much. Five ways you can identify God's call for your life. Number one, pay attention to your desires. Pay attention to the desires you have in your, in your heart. Those are sometimes can be sure uh, indicators to what God's calling you to do. What do I mean by that? Acts chapter 7. Listen to this, Acts chapter, 20, uh, seven, Acts chapter 7, verse 23. Now when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian, supposing that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. The Bible says it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Moses was minding his own business, and then all of a sudden, there was this strong, unavoidable desire that he could not ignore, that came into his heart, that drew him to his own people. Are you drawn towards auto mechanics? Like you can study it for hours on end, and it's like 15 minutes to you? Are you drawn towards uh sales you can sell a like they say a, a um they can sell ice to an eskimo or you can sell a pen to anybody you just have a gift to sell things that's your desire you you actually are nourished by selling things i'm not saying selling in a crooked way i mean you're a good salesman you actually meet the needs of your client that that could be a sure tell of what god's wired you to do to go into full-time sales are you drawn? Are you just like naturally innovative? You're always coming up with creative things. You're always solving problems in your own in your own house. Like the thing's broken, so you came up with this piece, this piece, and you, you plugged it in, and then all of a sudden the thing works, and nobody's ever created that. Nobody, you don't even know if anybody even sells that particular piece, but you did it, and you love solving problems, you love creating things, you love inventing things. 
God might have a specific invention that he wants to put in your heart that's going to blow you to the next level. That's going to push you and propel you into high places, make you a multi-multi-millionaire to fund the end time harvest. Are you naturally adept into like, you have a desire to, uh, to, to serve people, like you're hospitable to people? Maybe God's calling you to be a nurse. I don't know. But pay attention to what your desire is. I don't like, I do not like auto mechanics. I take my car to the mechanic. He does it for me. I don't do it. I, you start showing me YouTube videos on how to do this and how to do that in your car. I tune out. It's not what God's wired me to do. And so I know that's not my lane in life. But I can read and read and read. I can listen to preaching. I can study the Bible. I can study books on the Bible. I can read biographies of men of God. I can take notes for hours on end. Ask my wife. And study. And I don't feel weak at the end of it all. I feel charged. I feel ready to preach. I feel ready. I can preach. I can go through three weeks of meetings, four weeks of meetings. Two, I was just in the States for three months with very little time off. And I preached the entire time. I felt more energized at the end of it all than I did at the beginning because that's what it drives me. Do you have that desire? Maybe God's calling you to a ministry. When you think of preaching, does it cripple you? And you, I don't want to. Maybe you're not called to preach. That's fine. Maybe you're not called to be a full time minister. That's fine. But do you have natural giftings with numbers? You're like a human calculator. Your finances are in check. You, you, you love studying accounting or maybe even stocks or whatever. Maybe God's calling you in that direction. Pay attention to your desires. The Bible says in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 Then the Lord steered up the spirit of Cyrus. When all of a sudden you're just minding your own business and a, a sudden desire comes on you. You know, the Bible says one of the reasons why Moses wanted to visit his brethren was he saw someone suffering wrong and he went out to defend and avenge him. Is there a specific thing in life that you're looking at that it's just broken your heart? That's not right. I got to fix that problem. Maybe God's calling you to fix that problem. As uh, Ezekiel was standing in a valley full of dry bones, God didn't show him the valley full of dry bones just because he, he had nothing to do that day. He said, you prophesy, you deal with it now. I'm calling you, I'm appointing you. I'm giving you power to solve that problem. Is there something that's like a valley of full of dry bones that irritates you? You're see, maybe you see people in need, children in need, and you feel a sudden desire. Man, I feel like I can start an orphanage overseas. Or I, I, I should... I feel like I should, um, I, I, I should start some sort of feeding program at my church. You know, there's no feeding program at my church. And there's all kinds of people that are struggling financially and don't have a place to eat or a place to lay their head in. I, mean, I, I feel like I, I pray about it, fast about it. But that's a, a pretty good indicator that God might be, especially if it's something you've never even thought of before. And all of a sudden it came into your heart. Pay attention to what desires you have. In anointed services. Because when you're in the anointing, God will speak to you all kinds of stuff. Write it down. Bible says in Revelation 17, 17, for God put it in their hearts to serve his purpose. God will put something in your heart, a desire to serve his purpose. Number two, what are you naturally good at? I covered this 
in part in part one. God, David was good with a sling. When he saw Goliath, he wasn't nervous or worried. He used the sling to knock him down. God called David to serve the purpose of eliminated, eliminating na uh, Israel's national threat, which was Goliath. What are you naturally good at? God's not going to call you to do something you're terrible at. God's not going to call you to do something that you're, you're just awful at or you don't enjoy doing. You know, I really hate doing accounting, but this is what God's called me to do. I really want to kill myself, but hey, this is just it. God's going to call you to do something that you're good at and passionate about. What are you naturally good at? What can you read about, study about, listen to videos on for hours on end? And it, it just drives your passion. It feeds you. Number three, who do you gravitate to in life? For me, I can speak in, min in terms of ministry. There are certain ministries I gravitate to. I'm attracted by. They, they fascinate me. And I follow them. I follow them who through faith and patience obtain, obtain the promises. So I follow them. I, I study them. I study their lives. What are you attracted to? What... what, what What, what kind of uh, task or assignment, what kind of career or job fascinates you? You know, it's funny how when children are, are young, they have all kinds of dreams. I want to be an astronaut. They, they're fascinated by that. But then they grow old and they get beat out of it. Let me tell you, when God called you, He called you with an amazing plan. He called you with, uh, he, he never calls you to a small plan. There's a lot of people who came into Bible college. They had, I want to win this nation to the Lord. I want to shake my generation. By the time the four years are done, they've been told by backsliding Bible uh, college professors that, you know, it's not realistic. And they've got their big plan, big dream that God put in their heart smashed down to some little tiny minute thing. Children are born. They want to be an astronaut. They want to be a cowboy. They want to be a police officer. They want to be something. They, they're, they're fascinated by certain things. And then over time, they get beat down into thinking nothing of themselves. You know, I'll just take that. You know, it pays the bills. Don't go for something that pays the bills. Go for something that you were wired to do. What do you gravitate to? Who fascinates you? I'm fascinated by certain ministers. I know that's what I'm called to do, and I know that's the direction I'm going in. So some of you, you know what God's, God's plan is for your life. You know His specific plan. But now locate people that are doing it in a very high level. Locate people that are excellent at it. Locate people that are distinguished in that area. Don't follow people who just write books on it, but they've never even had one sign or proof that they know what they're talking about? Follow people who through faith and patience obtain the promises. Number four. Way to identifying God's plan for your life is read the word. Study the word. The Bible says in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will. John the Baptist, they came to him. What do you say about yourself? What are you? What authority do you come here with? You know what John said? You know, I just felt. He didn't just felt. He had a desire. He had something he was good at. 
He had a, 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 um, a passion in his heart, but then he found the place where it was written of him. He replied by saying, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make, way, make straight the ways of the Lord. John knew the plan of God for his life because it was outlined for him in the scripture. Jesus, the Bible says there was handed in the, prophet of, uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he found the place where it was written of him. In this book called the Bible, there is everything that is written of you. The Bible says very clearly, the vision of God has become unto me like the words of a book. The vision of God for your life is in the words of this book. I know it might sound crazy because it's like, well, what if God's calling me to become an accountant? There's nothing really in this book that I'm telling you, as you study this book, confirmation will come in the direction the Lord needs to, to put you in, to bring you in. The word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. The Bible says very clearly, uh, who is he that God will teach out of his law that he might give him rest from days of adversity? God will teach and instruct you from his word as to what you are to do. I mean, you, you see it all through the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came unto me and God spoke unto me. And as the minstrel played, the word of God came. Which leads me to my number five point, and that is intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. When you have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you're a candidate to receive His guidance, His leading, His direction. Bible says very clearly, as the minstrel played, Elisha, the Spirit of the Lord, came on him, and then the direction came. The, the, what, what Israel had to do came. The Word of the Lord came. So as you... As you consecrate times of prayer and fasting, you'll, you'll oftentimes, not oftentimes, if you have a sincere heart and a pure heart, you'll receive supernatural downloads into your spirit as to what you are to do. Jesus was praying and fasting. The devil tried to get him to doubt his calling, if you are the son of God, but as he prayed and fasted, he came out of that knowing more than ever before that he was the son of God. He knew that he knew. He, he, was not, he wasn't going to be moved on that. Bible says when David prayed uh, to the Lord and strengthened himself in the Lord, that then he took the ephod and the instructions came from God as to what he was to do in the next phase of his life. The reason why... Jesus always knew what to do was because he, he had cultivated a lifestyle of prayer. Prayer puts you in position. That's right, N Natasha. Prayer puts you in position to hear from God. If you're not in prayer, you're out of position, you'll never hear from God. Acts 13, and the, as they prayed and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work unto which I've called them. As they prayed and fasted, they knew what to do. Ezra chapter 8, the Bible says, And so we prayed and fasted and entreated our God for the right way concerning our children, our possessions, and our very lives. And the Lord heard our prayer and answered our prayer. They prayed and they fasted for direction for anything in their life. For their children, for their possessions, for their own lives. And God gave them. God gave them the directions. So those are five ways you can identify God's calling in your life. Five ways 
to, to find fail-proof ways to receive special instructions concerning your specific call that God has placed on your life. And then I'll finish with this. Once God tells you what to do, do it. Commit to it. Don't consult with flesh and blood. Abraham didn't hear from God and then went to his father's house and got everybody else's opinion. When God tells you to do something, do it. You don't need everybody's opinion. Why should you get someone else's opinion on something they didn't tell you to do? God told you to do it. And if God told you to do it, he'll then give you the wisdom to know how to do it as well. That's another thing. Don't just hear from God and then try and do things yourself. Find out. There's, there's vision and then there's direction. Vision is God showing you your part to play in his great plan. Direction is knowing how to play that part. Direction is knowing the steps to take in the ultimate fulfillment of vision. So ask of God. He'll give to you generously without holding back the wisdom needed to do what God's called you to do. To do it. And to do it well. To do it well. I hope this broadcast helped you today. I'm going to pray for you right now as you're watching that as you heard this message today that the Lord's going to open up your eyes to to behold the wonderful things from His Word that are spoken of you and to give you specific tailor-made instructions to know what to do so that you're not constantly relying on the prophet, constantly relying upon the, uh, you know, the men of God and women of God, always wanting, uh, oh, please give me a word. That's not the way God wants it to be. You're always going from conference to conference, revival meeting to revival meeting, looking after a word. You want a word? Get into prayer. There's no shortcut to hearing from God. There's no shortcut for, to hearing from God. But I pray as a grace and a hunger would come in you. A hunger to drive you into that secret place to hear from God. And then a grace that once those instructions come to carry them out. In the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you right now, by your spirit... You covenanted with us that those who are the sons of God would, be, would have a, an extreme privilege of being led by the Spirit of God. I ask you today, lead your people by your Spirit. Father, give them open hearts to know what you're speaking. I ask you, Lord, just like a cloud dissipates, Father, that confusion in their mind would dissipate concerning your specific plan for their life, that they wouldn't be confused. Lord, you led them forth with a pillar of fire. You made it clear and evident for them. I ask you, Lord, that you would make it clear and evident for those tuned in right now, either live or on the replay, to know what to do. In Jesus' name, I also ask you, Father, for grace to accomplish those things. To work hand in hand with you. Not to just hear from God and then say, well, when the Lord wants it done, it'll get done. But Lord, to, to buy those prophecies and plans that are made concerning them to wage the good warfare and fight the good fight of faith for the ultimate fulfillment of those things. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. I also feel like there's someone watching me right now. God has spoken to you to do something. 
and you're constantly asking God for confirmation after confirmation, or you're constantly asking God for, uh, you're like, God's spoken you to do something, you didn't do it, and now you're asking God for Him to speak to you concerning something else. He won't do it until you do that first thing. God spoke to you to move, God spoke to you to stay, whatever it was. And you're trying to pray and fast for clarity in a certain situation, when in, in fact, the clarity is going to come when you just do what God told you to do. As I said before, prayer and fasting is not something that gets God to... It's not you twisting God's arm to do what you want Him to do, no matter your level of obedience. Prayer and fasting is just to empower you to do what God's already called you to do. No amount of prayer and fasting is going to negate that. Negate obedience to God's instructions. There's someone watching me right, right, right now. I feel it strong in my spirit. That you have heard from God. To do something, but you've gone the opposite direction. Thinking that God will just forget. He hasn't forgotten. And now the storms of life have come. It seems like there's not as much joy in your heart. Not as much peace. It seems like money is actually running low. And all of those things dried up the moment you decided to go the opposite direction. Just like Jonah. But like Jonah, if you'll turn back today. He's not going to meet you with a rod of iron and smack you over the head. The Bible says, just like the prodigal son. He'll meet you with a fatted calf, the blessing of God. He'll meet you with whatever you had lost. He'll bring back. He'll restore into your hand. But it takes you turning back today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're watching now and you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to do so, remember, those who are... The sons of God, these are led by the Spirit of God. You have to be a child of God if you want to be led by the Spirit of God. If you want to know God's plan for your life and have access to that great and glorious plan, you, you need to first submit to God. Submit to God. So don't, there's a way that seems right unto men, it ends the way of death, but the way of the Lord is strength for the upright. Submit to God. You're watching today, you've never given your life to Jesus, you want to do that now? Do it now. If you're one of those that you've gone like a Jonah, the opposite direction, and today you're turning back and you want to recommit your life to Christ, do it now. Pray this with me. This is not an option. You, you need to be born again today. Time is too short, eternity's too long, hell is too hot, heaven too real for you to play games with this. There's a real hell to shun and a real heaven to gain. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you. You'd forgive me of my sin and wash me clean. I turn from my sin. I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord. And I'll never be the same. From today, lead me, guide me, and direct me. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.